Hello, modern-day warriors, analog kids, blacksmiths, artists, philosophers, and plowmen, and welcome to Podwork Angels, The Rush Hour, a podcast dedicated to the rock band Rush. My name is Justin Mancini. I am one of your hosts here, and I am joined uh, by my other co-host from the Cinema Joe's podcast, which is now on hiatus, Noah France. Hello, Noah. Hello. Good to be back. Like clockwork. <laughs> yes, indeed. Heavenly clockwork. Ticking. Ticking. All right. Before we get into any more bad puns, I want to introduce my other co-host. He is the host of the Talking Dakota podcast, Luke Martin. Hello, Luke. Podwork angels spread their arms and sing. Somebody had to do it. <laughs> we knew it was coming. Yes, our namesake, indeed. Um, but also joining us today, our special recurring guest. He learned to fight. He learned to love and learned to feel. He wishes he could do it all again. It's Chris Mancini. Hey, what's up? <laughs> I'm ready to enter this headlong flight. Yes, and we will be there with you because if it hasn't been already abundantly clear uh, to our listeners, uh, we will be talking about Clockwork Angels, our quasi-namesake here, the last album that Rush uh, ever will release, let's say, um, their 19th studio album. And of course, this is a podcast where we talk about each of Rush's studio albums, talking about our general thoughts, our favorite songs, not-so-favorite songs, favorite lyrics, and favorite musical moments. And we are very happy to do this one, um, I think, for sure. But before we get into the album proper, I'm going to, as I always do, offer a little bit of history. So there was a huge tour to promote Snakes and Arrows, which is last where we left off with the band. Uh, Chris and I actually saw them on that tour uh, back in 2007, I want to say. And that, was, that would have been the second time that we had seen them. So after a bit of time off, the group decided to meet and they were going to decide if they were going to do a new album or a new tour. They chose to do both. <laughs> so uh, in addition to recording, or sorry, sorry, writing uh, their new album, Clockwork Angels, they also ended up doing the Time Machine tour uh, where they would play, I believe, moving pictures in its entirety in addition to other songs. And uh, with Clockwork Angels, they made a conscious decision to make a true concept album and introduces to this world of steampunk and mechanics and alchemy and unlike some other albums in the rush catalog this really is their true concept album um even though 2112 of course had like that massive song but then there are a bunch of other songs that are unconnected same with hemispheres you know maybe the closest thing to a concept album that they've had up to this point would have been signals which was kind of a stealth concept album so this is but this is very much uh, focused and they would record this in two studios, uh, Blackbird in Nashville and then Revolution in Toronto. And they'd work with the producer Nick Reskolinich, who, of course, was their producer for Snakes and Arrows. So they'd work with him again. And I think the result is an album that maybe is their most focused album ever. Uh, it definitely has a clear sense of purpose and mission to it. And uh tells a kind of tells a story as i've mentioned before about a young man who is basically experiencing different things in this world that's been uh constructed there actually was a novelization and graphic novelization of this story um of a man basically exploring the world that he lives in uh the various misadventures that he had there are uh some nods to candide if anyone's familiar with that uh, story by uh, Voltaire. Um, I had actually read that before and I noticed like, oh, wow, Neil has read that as well. That's pretty cool. Um, 
And so there's a lot here to get into, uh, but I wanted to first get our general thoughts on Clockwork Angels. And I'm going to start with Chris, uh, because I actually don't know what he thinks about this album. Uh, We have yet to talk about it. So, Chris, what are your thoughts on Clockwork Angels? Flying blind, Justin. This is a dangerous game. Uh, Well, I won't beat around the bush. I think it is a really good album. I think it brings out some things that I feel like have been dormant for uh, some of the previous albums. I feel like they really got a chance to really, in some cases, I felt like they were restrained and I felt like not calling back to the line in Clockwork Angels, but really spreading their wings on this album. I think they, yeah, I just felt like they played a bit more freer on this album and uh, just really love the punchiness of the drums on this album and the more free form that I feel like Liveson plays on this album as opposed to previous albums. I think from a structure perspective, I do feel like I liked a lot of the songs or I, I liked a lot of the songs throughout, but I did feel it was a little top heavy. Uh, I, you know, we'll get into like some exceptions, but I did feel like the, the first half was a bit stronger than the second half. But overall, I still think it's a, a great album. And uh, I didn't know much coming into this and I probably still need to listen to it more to fully appreciate it but from what i've heard i feel like this is one of the better albums since um i'll say since um power windows for me nice i'm glad to i'm glad to hear that uh because like i said i wasn't sure what your feelings would be and i was also aware that this album sounds very different from some of the rush albums that you and i grew up listening to um but uh noah how do you feel about this album it's great. This was a really, really good listen from start to finish. This was another one of the, the later albums that I was just I, I just hadn't really taken the time to listen to and was unaware of for the while uh, for a long time. But I liked it the first time when I did a, a while back when I did a, a just a straight listen through of all of Russia's albums. Uh, and I had a great time revisiting it for and prepping for this episode. So I think this is going to be this is going to be a fun one to discuss. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just, it has a great sound all around for me. This is one of the best examples of like the later day, like more mainstream, bit more refined rush sound. Um, but still, but, but, but still, you know, having everything that you associate with a good rush album. And, uh, I want to go to Luke next. And I felt like Luke, maybe I had the best idea of your opinion on this album before we did this episode. So, but I want to share that with our listeners as well. Your thoughts on this album. Well, I suppose I'm a bit biased because this is like the only Rush album that came out after I became a fan of the band. But I do feel that this is among the best work in their entire catalog. And and I think you really have. To, well, first of all, I mean, how nice is it to hear this band recorded with, you know, more modern technology, you know, with all of the advancements and the allowances that, that making an album in the 2010s has over making an album and you know back in the 70s there's that there's the, the the logistical side of things it's just like i loved when it was released and now i love hearing the trio in in a more modern recording setting but also i think you really have to give it up to the guys for you know obviously at the time they probably weren't aware that this would wind up being their last studio album 
but the fact that they got 19 albums in and they are still pushing their sound and they are still this i mean there there's a period in the 80s and 90s that we went over where i do feel like a lot of the albums are kind of very similar and musically they're not maybe stretching as much as they can and i just love the fact that you know at the age of about 60 when they recorded this they were still willing to really like get in the mud and play some play some crazy shit and also just all the motifs of 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 being unsatisfied or or like you're like striving for something or there's there's a there's a sense of 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 yearning that i get from this album and and a and a need to keep playing and and keep producing and keep living and it's i just love the atmosphere of this album i mean i appreciated it when i was like 14 when it came out but now having an extra 10 years of, of maturation as a musician I just find that there is so much depth in this album and it is such a ride unlike anything that we've heard from them in in decades. So I I love it. Yeah, I'm going to echo that. Uh this was an album that I loved, which is I feel like it's been a while since I've been able to say that. <laughs> um, you know, as much as I've liked a lot of the, you know, sort of late 80s and 90s and 2000s stuff, um, it's been a while since I felt like something this assured, uh, you know, came from this band. And I have to say, despite the fact that it is a concept album, each song to me very much feels like its own thing. And I believe that was a conscious effort on the band's part. Uh, and at the same time, I still feel like each song kind of builds on the last one, which is a real like that to me feels makes it feel like a true concept album. Um, and I will also just say uh, I had a hard time narrowing down a lot of my choices. Um, I said to Luke kind of off air that, you know, this was a case where it's like by picking one song, I knew I was going to have to not pick another, which was heartbreaking um, because there's so much so many good songs on here. But you I mean, know, that's it, the it, rules it, of it, podcasting. If you pick one favorite, that means you hate everything else. Like I didn't <laughs> yes, make it. I didn't make that rule. Know this. That's just how it is. Yeah, that's what fandom is. But I, I will also say something that maybe surprised me about listening to it again this time is that even though it does have like I think it has musical ambition to it, the songwriting to me almost feels closer to something like Snakes and Arrows than it does to like 2112. I mean, there's just something that it feels like they've embraced this style of playing and songwriting, but maybe given us the most focused and assured version of it. Because to me, it feels very much like an album they've been trying to make for a while, but this is like the ultimate product of that. If I do have any criticism, I will say maybe uh, maybe it comes down to moments, not not you know constantly or anything, but there are moments maybe where I can sort of hear the age in Getty's voice. I mean, like you said, Luke, they were like kind of like late 50s, early 60s at this point. There's a few moments where I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the, you know, he's an older guy at this point. Like, it's not going to sound like it quite the, the quite the way it did. Um, there's a few moments of that on certain songs that I that I will at least acknowledge. Um, but overall, I really like it. Uh, and I actually like the character of Getty's older voice on here. Um, and I'll just also just say the, for the last thing, the subject matter. Yes, it's science fiction and fantasy. But it very much feels to me more like a reflection on life and the different um, experiences that we have, the different 
I think yearning is the the right word, Luke. A lot of these songs about striving for something that's not, you know, that's not there immediately and about the, you know, usually the folly of that. But it feels to me like it could be a reflection of Neil's own life. You know, I'm sure I I was at least reading into certain things, um, just knowing what I know about what he went through and wondering what the parallels were there. Um, but yeah, I just this is a great album. Um, I'm really happy to have listened to it again and kind of solidify it for me in their canon. But uh, yeah, I'm just very happy to be able to talk about it. My name is Bill Bodkin, editor-in-chief of thepopbreak.com. Join me on the third Thursday of every month as I dive deep into the iconic music scene of Asbury Park, New Jersey, on my new podcast, Anchored in Asbury. Every month, I sit down with my friends, colleagues, and some of the most exciting names in the Asbury music scene to talk about their latest works, most personal inspirations, and their connection to the city that Bruce built. Follow the show on the Pop Break Today podcast feed on your favorite podcast platform. Are you a diehard Marvel zombie who compulsively rewatches every movie and TV show you can get your hands on from the House of Ideas? Or are you a new or lapsed Marvel fan looking for an excuse to finally catch up on what your buddies have been going on and on and on about for as long as you've known them? Then folks, do we have the show for you. Head over to the Pop Break Today podcast feed on all your favorite platforms to check out myself, Bill Bodkin, and my co-host, Alex Marcus, on Bill vs. the MCU, where we review every single installment of the Marvel Cinematic Universe along with a journey around the Marvel multiverses where we check in on MCU-adjacent content like Netflix's The Defender Saga, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Fox's X-Men franchise, and so much more. New episodes premiere the second Tuesday of every month on thepopbreak.com and the Pop Break Today podcast feed. So let's get into it. These are the songs that we're going to put in the limelight. So, uh, Luke, why don't you start us off this time? Which song of the 12 are you going to put in the limelight for us? I'm, I'm going with the I, I have a thing on these podcasts. I did the same thing on the Genesis one of going with the opener, but I'm doing it here and I'm not sorry about it. I'm going with Caravan because that song on a relentless album, I think that is the most relentless song like i was listening to it again last night it's like just just when you think that that they couldn't come up with a a section that's more like rocking and just you know like like viscerally like like soul stirring then they go into this completely other thing that's like just as amazing and they do it like four different times in the song like there's there's like all these different sections but they're they're all great and it's it's only like five or six minutes too like it's just such a jam-packed song and it's just such a powerful opening i just i can't i can't deny it it's 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 like i was listening i was sitting in my room like just listening to it and i kept like the whole time i was just like banging my head and like making like you know the stank face at myself in the mirror and i was just like oh man this is so good you know, and any time a song does that, it's like you gotta you gotta give it up. 
Yeah, many head-banging moments on that song, especially. Caravan Thunders Onward. And on I also and feel on like it on. was a, a huge feel like it was a huge statement for the album. It's like, okay, yeah, they're going this direction and I like where they're going. <laughs> Especially like, you know, the solo part. Like I I was debating between this and another song and I, I didn't go with, with Caravan, but I was definitely considering it during my uh magic music moment. Which one did you go with for Limelight then? For me? Uh I went with uh, the self-titled song, Clockwork Angels. And uh, I went with it partially because I, I think there are a lot of good albums on here, or good songs on this album. And I wanted to highlight this one because I noticed it hadn't been selected as a single, and I feel like it should be. Um, really love the... Uh, it really evokes stuff from 2112. And I was going to mention this before, but I think... It's surprising how an album like this obviously didn't know this would be their last album. I mean, maybe they knew like, hey, this is probably going to be one of our last. But it's really cool how they were able to evoke uh, a lot of different songs from their past. So like, I definitely feel like 2112 from here. Um, I forget which song, but like felt very similar to Bastille Day. So it's really cool how um, it's really cool how they're able to evoke stuff from their past with something that is clearly like so new and uh obviously heavily um evokes snakes and arrows as well so uh just really cool how they were able to blend it all together and make something as a as a solid explanation point on their whole career with this album um but anyway back to clockwork angels really like the build-up of the guitar and bass and then the drums comes in uh like i said really uh, evoked 2112 for me um the snare in this uh I- i've used the adjective before but very punchy uh just really enjoy how it pushes the the song along i thought it was really cool in the um in the chorus at the end where he says as if to fly things kind of like pause for a second and i guess kind of getting a little bit into the lyrics of the song a bit, uh, kind of talking about evoking kind of the, the I guess, there's obviously like a religious component to the song. <laughs> and I think that as if to fly part is kind of highlighted. And notice the choice of lyrics of not like to fly, it's as if to fly. I think it's interesting the way that's phrased and kind of the emphasis that they put on it just kind of um, kind of dial back like, hey, like, like, look how grandiose these angels are and whatever. But then like, as if to fly, but are you are you flying? So I, I don't know if I'm reading too much into it, but that's kind of my interpretation I think the solo, it, while not like the best on the album, I think it, it's still really good and like stays within the groove of the song. Very interesting transition that they had. Uh, I described it as twangy, <laughs> where um, where he has Getty has this distorted voice and he's talking about like, hey, everything will like happen as long as you don't like question things, I guess. I'm probably, again, reading way too much into it, but, like, it kind of 
makes me think like evokes kind of like a you know southern feel to it where obviously there's a you know larger church presence <laughs> and possibly like evoking evoking some of the stuff there and then uh, just really love the epic feeling of the whole song just feels like a really grandiose song which goes in conjunction with the you know what they're talking about and you know the clockwork angels so just really uh really enjoyed the song and it really stood out to me when i first heard it and um we'll see after further listens maybe it's not still my favorite on the album but uh it definitely stood out to me upon you know the first couple listens yeah i'm glad you selected that one chris that's one of uh, that's not the one I went with, but I was considering that both for this category and also for musical moment. Because um, I just, I love like when Alex, like when that strumming comes in the first time and then it kind of recurs throughout the song, it just like puts you in that place. It's just so evocative is the right, I know we've been using that word a lot, but like that's really the feeling. Um, and I just was like, I feel like I've been missing this, like this kind of like sonic imagery, you know, like to really create a mood, to create an image in your head. That's just something really um, that really stood out to me. I think this song honestly is in contention for my favorite on the album. Um, I I love like I think you mentioned the groove too. Like that's also like kind of unexpected. And there's like a really like in the verse section especially. That's where I really noticed like the drums and like what they're doing there. And then just to speak to what you talked about as if to fly, like where the people are on the ground, like just imagining them like putting their arms up while still being earthbound almost has this kind of like absurdity like uh, to it and i just always like that as like an image of just like putting their arms up like they're gonna fly but they're just they're just stuck there (laughs) like it really is kind of getting to like even though this is like this apparently wondrous site there's also maybe a limitation to it which will be challenged by songs to come uh because this is still a point where our protagonist is still very much you know uh, ascribing to the world of the of the watchmaker um, and the angels are very much a representation of that. So, yeah, good pick. When they when they toured this album as well, I remember <clears throat> every time Getty sings the lyric as if to fly, they put the lights on the audience and everybody like puts their hands up. And so it's like exactly what you're just describing. <laughs> very nice. Um, so I'm going to go next for my pick. Uh, and I tried to pick a song that I thought might not come up as much. And it's actually kind of in the middle. It's the song Halo Effect, uh, which is a bit of a break uh, between some real rocking numbers between Carnies and Seven Cities of Gold. And I just love that it's sandwiched in there. This like mostly acoustic song, a little bit of electric comes in, but then especially the strings. I think it's a very good example of just like the universal nature of the lyrics that Neil has in this album. It's this idea of putting someone on a pedestal and projecting onto them. I just love the sound of the acoustic here. I think it has this really nice groove to it. The strings, as I mentioned before, add this layer of momentousness to it. And there's a sense that like this song is like very much a cycle. Like this won't be the last time that our protagonist ruse, you know, putting someone on a pedestal or something on a pedestal. Um, There's the line, it's shameful to tell how often I fell in love with illusions again. And just the fact that he's got that, then leading into Seven Cities of Gold, which, uh, spoiler alert, he does not find. (laughs) Um, I just have to say, I can relate to this song 
more than I would care to admit, especially because this song is about uh, a woman that uh, the protagonist has fallen in love with um, and is uh, subsequently rejected by. Um, so, uh, yeah, this is definitely one that hit closer to home for me than I expected. But I just really like how it's in here and how it's completely different from anything on the album. Um and just really like how it ends, you know, with just Getty's voice, you know, a goddess with wings on her heels and then right into that great baseline and seven cities of gold anyway. Um, but yeah, this is a, a real, uh, this is one that I wanted to spotlight just as something that's very different from other songs on the album. Now we will go to Noah. who will give us <laughs> a song that he would like to put in, in the limelight. Well, I am, uh, I'm doing something completely different. I went with the wreckers. This was the one that really stuck out to me on uh, this list. And I just, I loved from the word, I absolutely loved from the word go. Um, it, it's ha- so it's a song kind of about like a siren esque situation where you've, you've got people in a boat being drawn into what you think might be a lighthouse, but uh, maybe probably not. Uh, and it's just the, the song itself has this great feel um, of being out like, you, you know, in a, a choppy sea, like that's kind of the effect that you get from um, the instrumentation in it. Um, what I liked most was just the, what well, the, the thought that it immediately brought to mind was uh, I, I thought back to you know 20 years ago in one of the early internet phases where one of the things like the early AVAs uh, that people would do they would like the, the most popular one when I was in middle school was to take Dragon Ball Z and splice clips from Dragon Ball Z in videos set to Linkin Park songs which you know match made heaven like that's we should we should have just ended the century after that but somehow we're still going. Um, and I just I immediately found myself thought thinking about that that and thinking, okay, someone needs to do a music video or an or an AV of this song and clips from the lighthouse. Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. That would just be the absolute perfect combination. I need to see those two doing their thing with this song in the background. Yeah, no, that that was the mo- that was the the funnest experience for me listening to this album. Although Seven Cities of Gold was also very high up on my list, and Clockwork Angels as well. Those are also absolute bangers. Yeah, Wreckers was one. I remember when I saw the title, before I'd even heard the album, I saw the title and immediately thought of this uh, uh, young adult novel that I wrote, uh, it's wrote, that I read when I was younger <laughs> that was basically about the same thing of like these people who create uh, the uh, illusion of a lighthouse just for, so that the ship can come and be wrecked on like on the cliffs and then they can like take whatever possessions are there. And I was like, I remember seeing that time, like, is that what the song is going to be about? And then I read the lyrics so like, it yeah, absolutely. Like, is this, I don't know if that's like a recurring theme in various, you know, uh, folklores or whatever. I have no idea if it's actually been, you know, a thing that has been documented. Um, it almost but, feels like the modern take of the old siren tales because yeah, legends about siren like creatures those are pretty common around the world but a lighthouse was supposed to be like the modern answer to navigating the sea mm-hmm. so then like you know you take you you take the horror range where you take something normal and flip it on its head and make it something scary oh it's not a real lighthouse it's or it's a lighthouse yeah. designed to make you crash and not designed to keep you from crashing yeah but there's a real like that song has a very interesting flavor to it just like the way it begins it feels very like somehow like whatever they're doing, like the instrumentation, like has a very like nautical feel to it. Um, and then you get the chorus, which like almost seems like it should be joyous, but what it's describing is not <laughs> like it's, it's yeah, very, you know, if nautical about, like, nonsense be something you wish, you made a mistake. <laughs> nautical nonsense be something you wish you lure sailors to their death and steal their shit. That's, 
Yeah, that's, that was Sponge the original That was the original SpongeBob pilot. For whatever reason, Nickelodeon nixed that. It's a shame. Well, guys, let's get into um, a handle with kid gloves section where we talk about songs we don't like as much. Um, I'll just go off the bat and say I didn't have anything for this. <laughs> there wasn't really a song I disliked on here. The closest thing I had, but I want I'll, I'll qualify in a second, is maybe wish them well. But I actually, I'm listening to it more times. I just think it works so well thematically, and I that and I've also just kind of come to like it. And I just and I always did really love Getty's just you know high pitched wish them well. That that just to me is like it's like I don't know it's like a Canadian fuck you, but it's actually like benevolent <laughs> at the same time. Like so anyway, that's all I'll say about that. But um, Chris, did you have anything for this one? Well, uh, no, don't get mad at me, but. I actually picked the records, <laughs> and I, I don't. Oh, Chris, look, look, look behind you! I see a light. I think you should walk towards that light <laughs> in your boat. Look, see, it's um, Willem Dafoe. He's waiting for you. Uh, with the records, I feel like I don't know. I feel like the the guitar part in the verse just didn't really do it for me. I'm wondering if it has to do with um, I read something interesting where. The parts that were written for guitar and bass were done uh, by Lyson and, and Lee, but they actually switched uh, at the beginning instruments uh, in terms of like writing the song. So Lyson wrote the bass part and then Lee wrote the guitar part, at, at least in the beginning. So so they did that. Then they switched back and then I they both said like hey like they kind of went a different obviously a different direction than they expected um and then they also mentioned like i think um they that's kind of what gave it the different feel i think maybe justin that you were talking about but i think they also tried to like make it fit with their kind of style so i thought it was interesting that they took that approach but maybe like i don't know I guess to me, like, it didn't necessarily click for me. So I guess at least for me, like, maybe it's better that, you know, they know their own style. So great to get, like, inspiration from someone else. But I don't know, it just didn't have the same feel to it as as the other songs on the album for me. I think the other thing was, again, like, I don't know why, but like, to me, like, like happier sounding songs can be a little off-putting for me <laughs> i don't know why i just uh i guess i'm too happy in in my regular life and i need sad songs to make me feel things <laughs> happy chris but, wasn't tall but he was a man but maybe like as i listen to it more because justin kind of as you said like the lyrics don't necessarily match the you know happier tone of it and i certainly can appreciate those types of songs Makes me think of like uh, "So Long and Thanks for All the Fish" from uh, from Perfect of Perfect Circle. Yeah. Very happy song, but it's talking about like a nuclear <laughs> explosion. <laughs> anyway, uh, so I, I think it'll be interesting to see if I feel the same way after more listens. But I know this song I felt was not as good, um, and it's why I kind of mentioned like I felt like it was a uh, a stronger first half and second half uh, to the album. And partially it's from the song for me. 
Also, real quick, speaking of Lee's voice uh, not having the same uh, strength to it, when he talks about striking down like a bolt from the blue, <laughs> the shrilliness just kind of made me cringe a little bit. <laughs> also, at first I thought he said balloon. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, there's maybe a few moments where I'm like, I need to look at the lyrics for this because I cannot make out what he's saying there. But uh, Noah, did you have a song for this category? Well, sort of. It's funny that you mentioned Wish Them Well because I, the most I could come up with in, in my notes was the ending question mark. Broadly speaking, I found Wish Them Well and The Garden to be less memorable and less interesting as like the concluding part of the album compared to like the presence and the the power and the sound that comes before. But like I said, there's a question mark there because it's like it's not like either of them are bad songs or I didn't like them. I'm just like, ah, oh, the album could have used a bigger ending, but that's like that that's barely a criticism. There's not any one song or lyric or moment that really like got stuck in my craw it was just like oh that ending could have been better and that's that's the most i can come up with it's a great album yeah just for the sake of honoring the categories i did go with wish them well and i liked what justin said about it being a canadian fuck you i was like maybe that's it maybe maybe the rest of the album was like really edgy and like you know raw and driving and then this song was just a little too canadian for me but i still like it like that's the thing is i didn't want to pick a song but i was like well you know we're doing the category so let me let me me pick one i feel like to me it's like my maybe my least favorite song on the album but that's only because everything else around it is so good um it's it's funny though initially initially i was gonna go with halo effect because Mm -hmm. it is a bit of a come down but then i thought about it and i was like no, we're six songs in. Like, a, a come down is well placed. You know, I. You yeah. Know, it's nice to have a chance to catch my breath after just being like, you know, every all the, all the great stuff that came before. So. Right. Yeah, and it's like it's short. It doesn't like overstay its welcome. Um, but uh, let's get into some lyrics, why don't we? We're gonna move to our words of the prophet section where we talk about our favorite lyrics. And um, Luke, I'm going to have you start this time. It was between two songs for this one, but I think I got to go with BU2B2, specifically uh, the line that reads, belief has failed me now, life goes from bad to worse, no philosophy consoles me in a clockwork universe. And I just love that that idea of, of the universe just being a piece of clockwork. That's that's kind of how I felt about like I guess faith and spirituality like that's my most recent like sort of semi-belief that I have is like just kind of feeling like everything is everything is uh like predetermined in a sense or everything is kind of just we we are all we are all very very small pieces of some larger whole and there is a certain inevitability of life you know whatever whatever shape or arc your life takes you know obviously the one certainty is that it ends and that everyone has to go through that and whatever whatever lies beyond that we are all going there i think that there's another song i think it's maybe be just bu2b but there is a song that talks about like growing up believing in ideas of good and bad and heaven and hell and 
I just feel like as I enter adulthood, I, I feel much more, uh, I, I feel like, you know, predicating faith upon difference and differentiating yourself from other people is fundamentally flawed. So uh, again, to come back to the idea of a clockwork universe, that, that really struck a chord with me because I feel like that just feels like a, a closer to what, what it actually is to be alive and to be a, such a small part of something that is so beyond you and beyond your understanding. Yet it does have its own logic to it, even though we are we are not able to fully comprehend that. Yeah, and that's very much threaded throughout this this whole album. Um, one thing we didn't haven't really brought up yet is the fact that at least from what I can see, this idea of a watchmaker, which is talked about, who set this universe in motion, I think is a reference to deism, this idea that God created the world as a clockmaker and set everything and then kind of left and like is not really present anymore. That's sort of a, a philosophical, religious idea. Um, which I think is very present here, not just with the with the clockwork and the watchmaker um references but it's also like this idea that everything has been constructed perfectly already and there's no need for alteration so why would the watchmaker need to be present in any of it and it's kind of like well what do you do in that scenario how do you make your life and i think this is definitely him kind of coming back to that this is much later in the story uh that you've mentioned luke so it's interesting how he's kind of reverted back to what he was brought up to believe um and also just i love that they abbreviate it as b-u-2-b like there's something very like 1984 newspeak about that kind of getting away from the meaning of it just like that's what it is don't don't think you don't need to think anymore <laughs> about it b-u-2-b um, so it's really interesting at this point in the story to have him kind of go back to that original way way of thinking and that kind of uh, and it being this reflection of his despair. Um, but uh, Noah, why don't you go next? So I went in keeping with uh, the title of the section, Words of the Prophets, and also the the recurring theme uh, without and that that's something one thing I really appreciated about this album is that the, the title and this idea of both clockwork and machinery. Uh, well, well, clockwork kind of like the connotation there is a type of machinery in a very exact like fitting together of parts. But with angels, which which references kind of more old school religion and spirituality that, and how both of those are kind of meshed together, through, not just within clockwork angels itself, but in a lot of the songs throughout uh, the album. Um, that really gives a sense of even as, as you guys mentioned, the songs are musically very distinct. There are still these common themes uh, that run through it. So uh, in that spirit, uh, spirit, I'm going to Carney is also one of the, in, from, in my opinion, one of the, the top songs of the album. And I went with the chorus line, how I prayed just to get away, to carry me anywhere. Sometimes the angels punish us by answering our prayers. It, it might be a bit, you know, th that's 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 a very old saying at this point. Be careful what you wish for. No, be careful what you wish for. You, you might get it. Um, but I'm still a sucker for that. I'm, I'm a sucker for that idea of sometimes the worst thing that could happen to you is exactly what you wanted. <laughs> and it's only much later that you realized, oh, <laughs> that wasn't a very smart of me, was it? Um, and that that being, and, and also the idea of that being almost a sort of defined punishment, like, oh, you want, you want this? Well, you're going to get it. Have fun. I, I'm always a sucker for anything that references that. So that was, uh, that was the top line for me. Yeah, I so I'm glad I went somewhere else because I was seriously considering that exact lyric, but 
but I actually went somewhere else uh, for mine. But I really like, I always really like that too. Just the idea of like, you know, the idea of answering a prayer being a punishment. Like just, you know, how does that not stand out? That was literally the plot of Bruce Almighty. Like when he gets yeah, the power sure. of God, he says, I'll just, everyone's prayers are granted automatically. And it, that is, leads to absolute global catastrophe. Well, and the fable of uh, Midas as well, or the myth of Midas. Sure. Yep. Everything mm-hmm. I touched turns to gold. Okay. Everything, every part of your body <laughs> all the time. But yeah, that, there's a lot, like, just in terms of the story, like, the Carnies, there's a lot going on there in terms of what's happening. Like, there's a lot more incident in that song than uh, some of the others. So, yeah, that's, but that's a really good, that's a really good moment. Um, so I'm going to go with a song that I have to say I love. Uh, it seems like maybe some of my co-hosts um, maybe don't appreciate it as much as I do, but I'm going with The Garden, um, which I think is an absolutely gorgeous song. And feels like to me like a summation of the band and their career and maybe Neil's life, perhaps. But the the lyric that I'm going with here is this one. It's actually the very last. The future disappears into memory with only a moment between. Forever dwells in that moment. Hope is what remains to be seen. It just, to me, feels like such a mature way of taking stock of your life. Acknowledging the fleetingness of life, but also paradoxically how in the moment it's like this sort of infinity that you're experiencing and how strange that is. Um, and I just think Getty sings it so beautifully. Um, it really, this is like to me, one of like his best vocal moments on the album. And as I said, it feels like summing up a life, uh, both for Neil and the band. And I just love this idea of hope as kind of ambiguous, like remains to be seen. Is there something more? And it's kind of just letting it, whatever happens happens like it's not this i think so many times when we talk about hope we just we just kind of take it for granted and here it's kind of like yeah maybe but you know we don't we don't know and it really does i think clue you into the fact that the real what is precious is the moment and as the song is very explicit about perhaps um you know love and respect for the life that you have uh and the people within it and um yeah i just love the way this ends it's just a really interesting final line with just a little bit you know makes you maybe a little bit more uncomfortable than you would like but in a very kind of in a very kind of settled and like like he's made peace with that fact so yeah i just i really like this i like a lot of lines in this song but i just really like the song in general i just think it's absolutely gorgeous um it's uh i was i'll be honest with you i was listening to it the other day and it started to tear up listening to it. So that's how much it's meant to me. I also really like in that song that maybe it's a bit on the nose or obvious, but I don't think so. The the metaphor of interpersonal relationships to a garden and that they and they say it's, it says explicitly in the song that these things have to be nurtured and protected and that it's so easy for them. It's so easy for it to go awry, for the you know garden to die out or not be you know, or, or not to bloom. And I, I just found that very apt as well, that it's, you know, just to maintain your bonds with people, you, you have to, you have to put in all this work and, and at any moment things can change or people can change and grow apart. And, and it's, it's a very precarious thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Chris, do you want to uh, give your own words of the prophets for us? Yeah, I went to the anarchist. Because I thought it was a very interesting comment on, I don't know specifically how 
it relates to the story, but and maybe you can help with that. But I felt at least it was an interesting comment on like how people can be not very well understood. And then when they kind of do something that is against society, we still really don't fully understand like how those like how that happens and how a person gets to that point. So first of all, I'll, I'll share the lyrics I, I put. In all your science of the mind, seeking blind through flesh and bone, find the blood inside this stone. What I know, I've never shown. What I feel, I've always known. I plan my vengeance on my own, and I was always alone. Definitely felt some... Uh, I believe the song is called The Sniper. <laughs> Uh, from Harry Chapin, uh, definitely got some similar vibes with that. Uh, kind of how, kind of how villains are formed. It's it's funny how with all the science and technology we have to try to understand the mind, I feel like it's still something we don't fully understand. You think of like people, and they're like, oh, I know, I knew this person, and I never would have thought they would have, you know done something so heinous i think there needs to be more understanding of hey you're building this framework and anyone who doesn't fit in that framework is an outcast and when you create outcasts you have people who feel left out and they can have this outer facade of everything's okay but on the inside they feel like they don't have the same opportunity as other people and their their only means of their only feeling of having control comes from their ability to enact their vengeance on the system that has outcast them and so a very interesting look into it um i don't know if this is referring specifically to like the watchmaker in the story i'm curious um if you guys have more insight into that but i i felt at the very least it was an interesting take on the negative aspect of having a system you know that can kick people out and and the effect that it has for people who are you know not conforming to that system yeah i mean i'll just speak to from what what i've been able to glean i haven't read the book or the graphic novel but um, I have read the liner notes for this album, and he actually includes bits that he had actually written before before he kind of wrote the lyrics for the songs. He actually wrote chapters for each of these sections, um, kind of for himself, like for reference. And there's a little bit of it in the liner notes where they talk about it just kind of like happens like out of the blue, like all of a sudden this anarchist appears. And it's not clear like who he is or what he's there for, but this is kind of like I guess like his sort of life philosophy song before he is then a part of the next song, Carnies, where he tosses a detonator to our protagonist. And I think there's a little bit of ambiguity there because what's literally being described is the anarchist as a separate person. Although it's interesting how by the anarchist doing that, it actually forces him to leave that place and go on these other adventures. So I wonder if there's a bit of himself in that and i feel like the anarchist himself is kind of this opposite extreme of what has been offered in this clockwork world right it's like and the lyrics that you spot that you spotlit i think are really telling of that of like always being alone when everything is already set like you don't have you only have yourself to rely on at that point because everything else is telling you 
this is the world that you're in. And this is a guy who's defined at that saying, like, no, I'm making it. And I love the idea of him being an anarchist because what is an anarchist, right? It's someone who's against government, doesn't believe the government should be a thing. And what is more government than, you know, the whole structure of this world? Um, so, yeah, it's it's not like at least in this album, it's not explicitly spelled out who this person is or like how he's appearing. He just kind of appears. So that's that's my understanding. But I think the the lyrics that you chose, I think, are really reflective of the way that he sees things as this kind of uh, reaction, this sort of you know counteraction of the world that's been established. All right. So now we're going to move to our the magic music that makes our morning mood. Uh, this was maybe the toughest <laughs> thing for me to pick from. But uh, I'll start us off this time and I'm going to go to the song that uh, Noah mentioned, Carnies, and specifically the introduction of this song man i love how heavy this is i just love when alex's guitar comes in um you got a little bit of like sound effects you got like the sound of a you know of a carnival and then just all of a sudden you get this heavy guitar from alex it's almost like rude sounding and you've got like neil's drums behind it which like a very solid support very relaxed but also sound absolutely massive and then getty's bass when it comes in and that just like hits you like a truck I just love the confluence of all those different parts. And I love that they let us kind of see each individual part. I mean, it just, for me, really works for the song. It's like finally unleashing, you know, because as I mentioned before, this is finally where the anarchist is unleashed upon the world that's been established. Feels like he's kind of, his presence kind of intruding at the very beginning of this and, uh, you know, creating the uh, series of misadventures for our protagonists from there. So just really love the the intro of this, uh, you know, just something that really gets your blood pumping. Uh, Noah, let's go to you next. Uh, what is the magic music that makes your morning mood? Okay, so it's good that you mentioned um, Carnies, which is one of the songs that I was thinking of before I ultimately decided to just, uh, for this, I'm just picking all of the bass work throughout the album. There are about four, five, or six songs that have at least one moment where the bass is either playing alone, like it starts alone, or it has like a brief solo and the other instruments are, are fade away or, or aren't there, or it's uh, or the, the instrumentation is predominantly bass focused. And I could not pick between them. There's moments on Clockwork Angels, on Carnies, um, Seven Cities of Gold. Those are, those are probably the three top examples, but there were a couple of others as well. And I was just like, wow, the bass is kicking it a, a particular amount of ass in this album. Uh, and I was like, I can't pick one of these. So just the bass work, all of, especially especially the solo or or almost solo bass parts on this album. Uh, this is just this is the best of what Geddy Lee can do with his other instrument, not just his voice, but his bass guitar as well. For the same reasons that you said, Justin, it's just it's incredible. It's like the it's like the freaking Energizer Bunny, but in bass guitar form. It just gets me pumped up in all the songs where it comes in. It's great. Getty does slap at the bass. <laughs> Had to say it. Had to say it. Some we could not do this podcast without somebody saying slap at the bass at some <laughs> point. So you're welcome, internet. Uh, Chris, let's go to you next. What's the magic music that makes your morning mood? Well, I I'm surprised. No, you didn't also list headlong flight in parts where the the bass was awesome because man okay, i forgot I have there a, were so many of them bass. like there i gave up <laughs> trying to count them all but yeah i went with headlong flight i feel like like maybe they didn't know this was like towards the end but i felt like they were like all right we're gonna go all out with this song 
and uh especially like the guitar was is just like really uh really punchy in your face really gets you pumped up and i'm gonna go with like the you know the section after uh the second chorus where the guitar is continuing and then like the drumming just gets absolutely insane but I, I'm just picturing Kurt with like eight arms, like going insane, <laughs> and then like, and then the the bass kicks in, and then like Lyson goes off on on guitar, some insane playing there. I'm just picturing like explosions and fireworks and everything at that part. Like the whole song is great, but like that section is just a big like uh, explosion of sound, and I was like, okay, yeah. If this is the last album, like, this is a song that's like, all right, like, we're going to lay it all out there. And uh, I felt like they did that uh, in this section. Yeah, I had, I think, the same part of the song that Chris is describing, where about four and a half minutes into the song, there's, like, actually a break. And it's just Neil doing, like, a single stroke roll around the kit. And then, yeah, and then they come back in and go into the guitar solo. But I picked that part as well because I remember when they toured it, they use that as like the launching point for Neil's extended solo in the set. And I, I just remember being 14 and like a massive fan of Neil. And when they were, they were already five minutes into that drum break. And then I see Getty and Alex just back off stage and sort of gesture towards Neil. And I just, just about lost my shit as a little 14 year old Luke. And uh, like, that was, that was, that will forever be one of my favorite moments in a live show ever. Just just realizing what was about to happen. It's the best. It's the best. And I feel like sometimes, like, especially on, like, the later albums, like, I felt like some of the solos were a bit more contained. Yeah, I felt like here they, were, they just played way more freely without it getting too crazy where it didn't feel like it still, you know, meshed with the song. So I really appreciated them like showing off what they can do while still keeping it you know um in theme with the song i don't think anything on the album is like i wouldn't cut anything at all but there is a part of me that's like what if in an alternate universe the album went from headlong flight right into the garden and that was it like i don't know i think it'd be i like i i headlong flight is so amazing and so epic i almost wish it was like at the very end of the album because there's no like you've after that's you've gone into outer space there's no come down like it's just it's it is chris like you said it's 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 as if the band said to each other how can we just make the most epic thing we've written in like 30 years like let's just do that let's just make the most grandiose amazing song and that's our starting point yeah it's funny it's funny you say that luke because i was thinking about how um the way like what the song is about is kind of him looking back on the adventures that he's had and ultimately coming to a kind of peace with it right i wish i could do it all again so there's a part of it that's like yeah that would actually make sense like you've settled that now you can kind of go into the garden and you know see what's really important to your life now but i was also just going to say one of the moments from this song i was considering for musical moment is again the intro 
because I love like especially Neil's drums in that are just so incredible like he, he's it's almost like a march but it's like really fast and i was seeing him play it in concert and he actually is doing that and like the, tra- the traditional grip which we've talked about before on the podcast and then kind of switching to match grip once it gets into the verse section so yeah just just an incredible song definitely again this one clockwork angels probably the anarchist are like kind of in contention for my favorite song on the album so any one of those I do want to give a special shout out to the bass intro of Seven Cities of Gold. Talking talking yeah. about bass kicking that, ass. That's probably that's oh, man. probably gonna end up spot number one for me long term. But for today I didn't wanna yeah. I didn't wanna do the cruel violence of picking. And it just like it's a way of like building into the song. Like you've got a little bit of that, you know, a little bit more percussion from Neil in that in that uh, first part. And then just as it launches into that, you know, kind of iconic uh, riff for the song. Another song I was surprised no one brought up is uh, B.U.2.B., uh, the second song on the album, which just, again, you want to talk about bass absolutely punching and that sort of recurring riff throughout. And I just think that has a real great feel to it. And it's very much kind of our introduction to the I mean, I guess not an introduction to the character, but it really is kind of like, here's where I'm coming from kind of thing. And that will kind of be a template for the rest of this and how this kind of adventure that I'm on will challenge that. I definitely wanted to mention that. But were there any other uh, songs or moments that you guys wanted to bring up? Well, just a second, though. I feel like B2B, I, I feel like Caravan sets the instrumental tone of the album and B2B sets the lyrical um, sort of themes of the album. So I, I tend to think of B2B more in terms of its lyrics. But I do agree that that it's it's certainly carrying that energy that's already been established in Caravan from the instrumentals. Cool. All right. Well, I guess we'll we'll close it there then for the album. It seems like one that we all really enjoyed. You know, I'll just say my last thought on this is I don't know whether this was intended as a last album, but it kind of feels like it could have been. Just knowing some of the things I know about Neil's life after this. It was interesting to think about the album in that context. I'll get into that probably more in our like retrospective episode about kind of life after Rush for the for the the band members. Um, but it was really it was hard for me not to think of that thinking about. I'll be honest, that might have been part of what made it so emotional for me. <laughs> but anyway, let's uh, move on to our featured artists talking about artists we've been listening to. And uh, Luke, let's start with you this time. What's uh, what other music have you been listening to? Uh, I've been uh, exploring, there's this YouTube channel called Boiler Room, which does a lot of, um, it sort of live streams, like EDM sets from DJs like all around the world. And they have like a, uh, a really wide range of, of styles within EDM and like geographic locations. And so it's a very, it's a very broad channel, but uh one of the DJs I was recently watching on, I watched her boiler room set. And this is somebody I had seen DJ in Miami is a Palestinian techno DJ named Sama Abdul Hadi. And I mean, live, she was, she was amazing. Uh, Techno as a subset of EDM is one that I particularly like because it's not so much about these like crazy buildups and beat drops. It's kind of like the, there's like a plane and you kind of stay on this plane and it's a lot of techno is characterized by being a bit faster than some of the other subgenres, uh, using a lot of raw kind of industrial machine like timbres. 
but it's very minimalist as as a subgenre. Um, and elements kind of come in and out, but but you're sort of you're sort of going along in this vein and this pace for for the duration of the set. Uh, but I think this this DJ Sama Abdelhadi has established herself, at least to the best of my knowledge, as as one of the foremost techno DJs out there today. Uh, and I, and I think it's it's well deserved. It's it's a really great set. And also just the spirit of techno as well. I mean, it's a it's a genre that developed in large part in Berlin as right after the Berlin Wall came down. And from a sort of sociopolitical perspective, the the genre techno. Um, well, actually, I mean, even before Berlin, I, sh- I should say, I should say as well, it was developed in Detroit as well. But there's there's this attitude in the genre of it's it's sort of an act reclaiming space you know, with sound and with identity from from marginalized groups or, or marginalized groups re- reclaiming a space and sort of taking ownership of, of uh, spaces which have been abandoned. So so in Detroit, it was uh, a lot of old auto factories that people eventually started having raves in because they were completely abandoned. And in Berlin, it was when, when the Soviets left in, in sort of old Soviet buildings or factories as well, they would set up these raves because there were just these empty buildings on the east side of the city uh, that had been abandoned and were just kind of there. Uh, so I, that's one of the other things I've always appreciated about techno. And, and I think it gets lost in the way that EDM is perceived today is that you have to remember that uh, techno and house were started as underground movements and and were very much developed by uh, black and Latino and queer communities and have been appropriated in a similar way as jazz and rock and roll. And, you know, unfortunately, there are are these parallels across across, across musical genres. There there are these parallels. Uh, But I think uh, Sama Abdelhadi is interesting because because she's Palestinian, when you think, I mean, not to, you know, judge someone solely based on their identity, but I do think that's an interesting element because of the state of Palestine and the fact that there are so many displaced Palestinians, that you have somebody who comes from that background, who has established herself as, as a world-class performer and, and somebody to be respected, somebody who's touring internationally and DJing all over the place. So I think you have to give it up for her as well in that regard, uh, that she's that she's come out of that really fraught background. I don't know her personal background, but just thinking of the broader cultural frame, I do think it's interesting. Yeah, uh, certainly a new artist to me. Chris, do you want to go next? What, uh, what artists have you been listening to recently? I've been listening to Mastodon, which is a American heavy metal band from Atlanta, Georgia, where... I'm currently living. And I think I may have heard of them before. Vague, hazy memory involving a mosh pit. <laughs> ah, indeed. Yep. Noah and I were at the concert back in 2011, I think. And I was <laughs> right on the border of the mosh pit. And why does why does have some things you're like, why does evolution allow this to happen? <laughs> That's totally disconnected from the music. Mastodon is great. I love them. So they were formed in 2000. Uh, and I would say like their style has changed over time. Uh, not to say that they don't still have you know heavy metal piece to them, but I would say like both vocally and musically, I, I feel like they've 
transition to less like distorted kind of playing to you know metal rock um kind of style and i think maybe little i still feel like they have progressiveness in in a lot of their songs and yeah i think it's just kind of in a different way on the the newer albums than than the older ones i think the the thing that makes them unique number one so the their lineup consists of uh troy sanders on bass brent hines on lead guitar bell kelleher i think is how it's pronounced on rhythm guitar and brand daler on drums and I didn't mention vocals because three of them have done lead vocals on various songs, uh, on multiple songs. And then even Bill uh, Kelleher is on backing vocals on some stuff, too. So they all have dabbled in, in vocals, and I think that makes them unique. In fact, like such songs as Oblivion, they had you know three different people uh, singing whether it was chorus, verse, or kind of like uh, like pre-chorus. Oblivion is my favorite um, song of theirs for that reason. It, just, it has that incredible <laughs> variety to it. Yeah. And it, it, they all have different vocal styles where like Bran is maybe like the more like traditional rock kind of sound. Troy has that kind of like deeper, like like more metal feel. And then... Uh, Brent is just really unique, like just has that really um, like like Southern style to it that makes it really unique from any other vocalists I've heard. Uh, and speaking of like Southern influence, his he's uh, the lead guitar and like his style of play, I think, is heavily influenced by like his banjo playing. So it, it definitely is a unique guitar style that he has than than I've heard from many other bands. It's really interesting, and like I said, like I, I know there's definitely a lot of people who like their earlier stuff more than their later stuff, but uh, I really like the most recent their most recent album. I think it's Hush and Grim, uh, which was uh, like a double album, uh, which was really good. And I was recently listening to The Hunter, uh, which is kind of after like their four like probably like probably most popular albums. I still have a lot of songs that I like on the Hunter as well, like Stargasm and uh, Curl of the Burl. So, yeah, just uh, a lot of good songs, really unique uh, style. And uh, I did see them in concert as well. It's really cool. Went to uh, Nashville to see them play. And it was a really it was a small venue. And uh, we were on the outskirts, so I wasn't getting involved in any mosh pits, but <laughs> I appreciated like the you know the venue size and uh, really got to see them up close and personal, which was awesome. And then at the very end, Brent proposed to his girlfriend, uh, so that was a really unique moment to experience there to see that happen. So um, from what I've heard from, I haven't gotten to meet them but i have i do know a couple people who met them in person and they're just really cool like down to earth guys um and if you've seen any of like the makings of like youtube videos like yeah they just seem like really cool guys so really uh appreciate my brother getting me into this band (laughs) 
and uh yeah I'll, I'll keep listening to them as long as they keep putting out uh, great work like they have been yeah i know them well um and I have to say, they were probably a, a bridge for me of getting into heavier. Like, I was listening to metal at that point, but Mastodon felt like, okay, now I'm really in it. Like, now I'm like, now, this is like a point of no return kind of thing. And uh, yeah, I I might be, Chris, one of those people who likes the earlier stuff a little better. It's, it's more metal. Um, it's very aggressive, but it's also like, you know mythology is like a huge part of it like and i love that like the first four albums are all modeled after uh different uh classical elements like there's remission is fire then you got leviathan which is water blood mountain is earth and then um uh crack the sky is air and i just always i just really love that as like a you know as a nerd about that kind of stuff but yeah definitely a big fan i've seen them four times more than any other band that's just kind of how it's happened um, and I may be seeing them again uh, because they are co-headlining a tour with the band that I'm actually going to talk about. <laughs> and uh, maybe I'll get into that. So, uh, yeah, I got my uh, I got my old school retainer in because, yeah, I'm talking metal. So I've talked about one of my more recent discoveries with the band Bolt Thrower and also maybe arguably the best metal band, Death. But I think it's time to discuss what might be my favorite metal band at the moment, which is Gojira. Uh, they hail from Bayonne, France. They've been around since the early 2000s. Their environmental themes are very dominant. And in fact, they've even been labeled eco-metal, which I thought was very amusing when I heard that. And I have to be honest, when I first would, like had heard of them, I just really appreciated the idea of like a metal band from France. Like there's not a ton of those in the mainstream that also sang a lot of songs about the environment and how we should protect it and nourish it kind of like the garden. Uh, and I just was like, well, that'd be really cool. Like if I was into them as more time went by, I realized they'd actually kind of become like my go-to metal band. Uh, they're made up of Joe Duplantier, who is on vocals and rhythm guitar, his younger brother, Mario Duplantier on drums, Christian Andrew on lead guitar, and then Jean-Michel Labadier on bass. Um, and kind of to get to what you were saying, Chris, about Mastodon, like these guys just seem very grounded. My understanding is that they're all straight edge. They're all involved in environmental causes in some way. They actually they did a song, a song called Amazonia, where they were able to raise funds for marginalized communities who were being whose basically like homesteads were being threatened by deforestation in Brazil. You know, I don't know any of them personally. It'd be awesome to meet them, I'm sure. But they seem like people you could actually hang out with. Um, that would talk, be able to talk intelligently about many different things, um, which is not something I need from my musicians that I love, but it's a nice thing to have, <laughs> as we've learned with Rush. Um, so their sound, it's a bit hard to describe. It's been described sometimes as like technical death metal with like extreme and maybe some progressive elements. We've got mostly guttural vocals, but not quite death metal. They're actually kind of warm sounding. Uh, which is not a way I could describe a lot of death metal vocals. I like to think of their sound as something ancient and baleful emerging from deep within the earth. That's how I, how I would describe it. That's the that's the feel of it to me. And they make use of a lot of interesting techniques, which you might not hear in other metal bands, even death metal bands, things like pick scraping and slides and just really cool effects. 
Um, and I would say if there's a place to start, I would recommend the song Flying Whales, which starts with this amazing extended drumming section before launching into this massive headbanging riff that finally culminates in this like one of my favorite breakdowns of all time. And I just love how each section like really builds into the next. I just really am impressed by that. I'd also just I'd honestly be curious to to hear like what our resident drummer Luke thinks about Mario Duplantier because I find myself air drumming to a lot of his or, or attempting to uh, air drum along to his stuff. And there's there's always like little alterations. I'm like, oh right, okay, so it's not just the same thing all the time. Like it's he's adding little things to it. You know, I've heard probably one of the more challenging songs at least from a drumming perspective is the song the art of dying which is probably one of my favorite songs of theirs in general that's and i actually saw recently someone like break down like the the time signatures but even like in the first part of the song i was just like this song is even crazier than i <laughs> thought it was so yeah gojira just like i don't know they've kind of become like one of my favorite bands in general but if someone were to ask me like my favorite metal band at the moment it's probably them so i'm just really happy i i to have gotten into them and to realize that like they truly are um one of my favorites and i just and i love the 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 subject matter that they cover and how it it shows what if you have the right people behind it it doesn't matter like what the songs are about it's you know you've got the talent there and you can make a song that's about the majesty of whales that's also incredibly brutal at the same time so uh just something i love about metal in general I started listening to them like less than a year ago because a drummer friend of mine was like, dude, you have to check out the song. And it was, it was the art of dying. And like, it's, yeah, they're, they're pretty incredible. I mean, they, to me, they're kind of like Meshuggah in that, like it's metal, but it's very much like a, like there's, there's like a lot of intellectual stuff, especially behind like the time signatures and like these different patterns that they incorporate sometimes amazonia i love as well just because i forget the name of that instrument but at the very top the whatever that thing is i was like that is the that is the greatest thing i've ever heard in a song like the last thing i would expect in a metal song but it's like it just works so well so they're, they're a band where it's like the the stuff i've listened to a couple of their albums and i and i really love them and i'm i'm sure that the more I listen to them, the more I would like. They're they're one of the bands that's that's helped me appreciate metal for sure because it's not something I used to be into. But them, Meshuga, a couple other groups like are really have like totally opened my eyes to what you can do in that style. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, now we'll go to Noah last for uh, your featured artist. Well, I don't know if uh, you guys picked up on this, but for it. it this is a rare there's a, a rare in occurrence that happened recently where I became aware of an album as it released because the gorillas uh, have their eighth studio album out now Cracker Island. And for any of our listeners who don't know gorillas is uh, at this point, they've been around a while. They've been around for, I think, almost 25 years and they are technically a virtual band with without going into the whole backstory <laughs> Uh, which other people can summarize better than I can. They were originally meant kind of as a, as a parody of how like fake the creators of the band found like a lot of uh, popular artists of the late nineties to be. So they said, well, let's just take it to an extreme. So it's the, so they're technically it's a virtual band with virtual animated band members, but the, the two real life human creators are uh, Damon Albarn, who does all the music and Jamie Hewlett, uh, most well known for the tank girl series, 
who does um I, I don't know how much active animation does anymore, but he's the one who always does who came up with the concepts of the the band members and did their original designs and also does the redesigns for each album. Um, and I had when when Cracker when I heard that Cracker Island came out, I, I checked and realized somehow it had passed me by. Since Humans, they had done two other albums. Like it was a big deal when Humans came out because Gorillas had been kind of on hiatus. Like Auburn and and Hewlett had kind of a falling out after um, the Plastic Beach World Tour. And it'd been, I think it'd been like six or seven years since Gorillaz had had like officially done any new music. So it was a big deal when Humans came out. And I I really liked the Humans album. And I got to see them live uh, during the world tour for that. But then like the Now Now and the Song Machine book one Strange Times somehow passed over my head. And when Cracker Island came out, I was like, oh, I have some homework to do. Um, So I've been on a a kick kind of re-listening to the old albums, but then checking out the new stuff. Uh, which generally speaking uh, is all all three of the, the the most recent albums are really solid through and through. Cracker Island needs to grow on me a little bit. Um, the first song, Cracker Island, is really good. I really like the last two. Um, Skinny Ape specifically is definitely is already my favorite track from the new album. It's kind of Gorillaz is one of those bands that's so hard to describe. Auburn writes just kind of whatever he feels like writing, and there's techno funk hip-hop rap pop elements uh you know acoustic ballad like whatever style is in his brain at the moment he's writing a song makes it in and there's like there's no you you, like you just you cannot pigeonhole gorilla's music into one like genre or, or type of sound because it just covers anything uh what i find interesting especially listening to to the latest albums you can definitely tell that he has like there, there's more of a refinedness to the music as opposed where the first couple albums there was there very much was like a kind of a grit and an edge to it, and it really felt like like the tracks would 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 swing so wildly from one track to the next in terms of how the the sound the amount of sound some of the the songs in the first couple albums are incredibly minimalist uh, in terms of what's going on instrumentally um, and even vocally. Um, and there's definitely it's a little bit kind of like with Rush, you can you can kind of denote a difference between like the early experimental phase. And then they when when they kind of got a little bit more refined and a little bit more accessible in terms of how the, the songs are structured. But, yeah, so I've I've been on a kick enjoying the latest albums. I don't know if I any of you guys have listened to Cracker Island yet. I, I think the reason why Skinny Ape is my favorite from that album and is now already one of my all time favorite Gorilla songs is. It's so quintessentially gorillas in that there's a lot of different stuff going on musically. Like it's got a lot of, it's just got this weird synth baseline undergirding it. That is just, it's off balance enough and that it, you hear it and you're like, I've never heard something like that before. This is interesting. And it's lyrically mixing kind of nonsense stuff. Like it's technically about a skinny ape that kids are helping to stand up again which is kind of nonsense uh, and like it, it feed, fits the, the motif of them trying to work, you know, gorilla and monkey and ape lyrics into a lot of their songs because they're called the gorillas. But then the chorus has this line about wanting to breathe in a new world and don't feel sad for me when I leave. That just feels so profound and beautiful and moving. But it's about a skinny cartoon ape. And it's like. That's how the gorillas is like the profound and the bizarro nonsensical are just mashed together in unique ways. Um, 
So, yeah, I guess you, you guys were shaking your head when I asked if you'd heard the new album. Have you heard any of the recent Gorillaz albums? And if so, what are your thoughts? I, just check. I haven't heard it, but I did just check. And the first song from Cracker Island features Thundercat. So I will definitely be listening to that because for those who don't know, Thundercat is a monster bass player. So I'll definitely be checking that out. I'm certainly familiar with Gorillaz. I've heard like and I've heard a bunch of songs that I really like. So, um, yeah, so I don't have a ton of familiarity with them, but at some point I definitely will. It's I, I'd love to go into deep dive, deep dive on the gorillas with you guys. They're just so they're so weird. Next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> One day. All right. Uh, I guess we'll close it up there for now. So let's talk about where we can find everybody. Uh, and uh, Chris, we'll continue to hear you on our podcast, I'm sure. Uh, but uh, Luke, where can we find you? Well, now that I have returned from this cruise contract, like just thinking about when this will air, <laughs> I have a uh, I have a YouTube channel which will uh, be updated. I hope by the time this makes it to air, <laughs> just go there. YouTube Luke Martin, the bits and bobs. Very nice. Uh, Noah, where can we find you? Well, if you want to hear any other podcast work that I've done, you can check out our previous musical podcast, Pod on the Rooftops. You can also check out the movie podcast that Justin and I did with our good friend Alex for many years called Cinema Joes, which is currently on hiatus. And if you just want to know what I think about things, and why would you? But if you do, you can check out my blog at francisnoir.blogspot.com. Very nice. And you can find me on thecinemaverick.com. That's my website. I'm also on Letterboxd at The Cinemaverick. But uh, we, I do just want to say one last thing to our listeners in that we will be doing a sort of retrospective episode after this, and uh, we'll be getting into our sort of favorite things about this band, and uh, so look forward to that. But for now, we want to wish a fond farewell to kings, queens, and in-betweens. We love you all. Thank you for listening. <laughs>